we're going to focus on the Torah portion, it will be relevant. It won't be directly relevant. We're not going to discuss current events during this class unless they come up, which of course, you know, that's fine. Um, but I'm going to stick with the stick with the mission and study each week's portion and look for what it's got to really kind of undergird our um, experience of um, how to be in the world. And that's always true, no matter what's going on outside. So um, that's, that's what we'll focus on. And I want to say a blessing and then dive in. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Amen. Blessed are you, source of life, who makes us holy with your mitzvot and given us the mitzvah of engaging in words of Torah. This Torah portion is called Naso. It's um, Numbers chapter um, 4 through chapter, I believe, 7. And, uh, yeah. And Uh, it's 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 a very uh, it continues the the um, motif of the counting and the census of the last portion Bamidbar that we talked about two weeks ago, and it's it has the longest chapter in the Torah, eighty nine verses describing the offerings that every single tribe brought to the sanctuary and, and, and. It has a section called, uh, that describes um, um, someone called a Nazir, a Nazarite, which is someone who wanted to make a vow to be especially close to God and holy and would not cut their hair or drink, in, or drink any intoxicants or products of grapes. It's a whole set of restrictions that someone would take as a vow um, in order to attain a kind of level of holiness that was open to all Israelites. And then there's a little section, seems to be kind of inserted, and I haven't exactly identified to myself how and why it's right in this spot, but it's what I want to focus on today and have focused on in past years too and never get tired of focusing on. And it's called the priestly blessing. So you'll forgive me, some of you who've heard some of this spiel before, but it'll lead us into always a good place in my experience. So I'm going to ask Gwen to put this text up. It's chapter 6, verse 22 of the book of Numbers. Thank you. This will be familiar to you. Here it is. It's just five brief verses. yud spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to Aaron, Aharon, and to his son saying, Thus are you to bless, or thus shall you bless the children of Israel. Say to them, May Yudhe Vave bless you and keep you. 
May Yud Hevape shine his face upon you and favor you. May Yud Hevape lift up his face toward you and grant you shalom. In this way are they to put my name upon the children of Israel, that I myself may bless them. So this is an incredibly potent little paragraph. This is a description of how the priests, Aaron and his sons, are to bless the children of Israel. They're not blessing them themselves. They are channeling divine blessing onto the children of Israel. That's explicit here. So are they to put my name that I myself may bless them. So when you step back a little bit from this and try to imagine, I like to try to imagine what's going on here. The priests, Kohanim, who are the intermediaries between God and the people. Think of that word intermediaries. They're not there as a, um, a bodyguard for God. They're not there as a as standing at the door saying, you know, we're protecting this from that. They're there to be literally channels for divine energy to be transmuted through human hands and human presence so that it can be transferred through the priests onto the people. So I definitely want to speak with you today about um, what it means to be a channel of divine blessing. What a beautiful concept. And uh, But before we do, let's give some more background for those who aren't too familiar with this on this blessing. First of all, it is the oldest known, continually used liturgy in Judaism. Archaeologically, there was a find in Jerusalem a number of years ago where they found a little silver scroll that was wrapped up and rolled up that, we, that the archaeologists guess was used at, had a, maybe a, a, a leather thong or a strap through it and, and may have hung around someone's neck. And they find this little silver piece of beaten you know, metal, and they unroll it, which was a challenge, um, and they find this blessing on it. It comes from the 7th century BC, perhaps, something like that. So that we can say now, without question, that this invocation, this blessing, was in use 2,700 years ago. Probably longer if it was already, um, uh, if it was already um, something that someone would wear as an amulet, you know, as a little chai around their neck, right? I love that. Um, so I just went it. looking because I have a reproduction of it that I often wear, but it's not easily to hand. 
Oh, too bad. Thanks for looking, Gwen. Uh, so let's say 3,000 years. It's 3,000 years of constant transmission. How do we know this? Because one of the vestiges of the ancient priestly rites in Judaism never, um, never left the liturgy, never left synagogue practice. And that's called duchening. Uh, duchening is the practice in traditional synagogues where anyone who, in a traditional synagogue would be any man, who is of uh, the lineage of Kohen, right? Usually you'll know because your name's Kagan or Cohen or Katz. Katz is, by the way, an acronym of Kohen Tzaddik, right? So all those names are Kohen names uh, that were passed down through the generations as, because uh, if you were of the priestly lineage, that was an important aspect, even in exile, uh, even after the temple was destroyed. Um, the artifact of that, again, in traditional synagogues is that anyone who's a Kohen is called up to the Torah first. Anyone during the Torah service, anyone who's a Levi is called up second. And then anyone who's Yisrael is called up for the rest of the Aliyot. So this famous symbol, ah, Pauline, has such fond memories of standing under her grandfather's talis while they did this most magical ritual in their small shul in Borough Park, Brooklyn. The ritual, I think this is the moment to let Leonard Nimoy tell us. If you haven't seen, um, ah, Laura Duan Kaplan, it's from Duchen, that's right. Um, if you haven't seen this video, it, it'll give you a sense of what Pauline's remembering too. This is Leonard Nimoy of Blessed Memory, who grew up in an Orthodox shul in Boston. So I'm with my father and my grandfather and my brother, sitting in the, the bench seats. Women were upstairs. Five or six guys get up on the bima on the stage, and they're facing the congregation. They get their talit over their heads, and they start this chanting. I think it's called dukening. And uh, my father said to me, don't look. So everybody's got their, their eyes covered with their hands and they've got their talit down over their faces or turned away, turned their back to these guys. And I hear this strange sound coming from them. They're not singers. They were shouters and dissonant. It was all discordant. And they were doing like that kind of wailing, and all discordant, not together, not in unison. And then the leader would shout out, and the rest of them would respond, it was chilling, you know, <laughs> whoa, something, something major is happening here. So I peeked, and I saw them with their hands stuck out from beneath their talib like this towards the congregation. I thought, wow. 
something really got hold of me. I thought, this is a... I had no idea what was going on, but the sound of it and the look of it was magical. This is the shape of the letter Shin, Hebrew alphabet Shin. Very interesting letter in the, in the uh, language. It's the first letter in the word Shaddai, the first letter in the word Shalom, first letter in the word Shekhinah, which is the name of the feminine aspect of God, who supposedly was created to live amongst humans, the Shekhinah. Why you're not supposed to look came to me much, much later, much later. My wife Susan has a cousin who's a rabbi here in Los Angeles at Temple Israel. And I was telling him this story and he said, the reason you don't look is the, the legend is that during that benediction, uh, the Shekhinah comes into the sanctuary to bless the congregation. And you don't want to see that because it's so powerful, it could, it could really get, be seriously injured or it could be fatal. So that's why you protect yourself by hiding your eyes. Don't look. I survived. <laughs> I never dreamed that I would do that someday or be involved in it in some way. But sure enough, one day we're making the Star Trek series, television series. We come to a, a very lovely script called A Mock Time where my character, Spock, who comes from the Vulcan planet, has to go home to fulfill a marriage betrothal, to be married. And the lady who's going to uh, conduct the service is a, a lady named Tepau, played by a wonderful Viennese, Jewish Viennese actress named Celia Lofsky. I'm supposed to meet her when we arrive at the planet. We exchange hellos. It was the first time we were seeing other Balkans, other people of my race. So I was hoping to find some touches that could develop the story of the Balkan sociology, history, whatever, ritual. So I said to the director, I think we should have some special greeting that Balkans do. Because we, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, humans, we, we have these rituals, that we, the things that we do. Um, we shake hands, we, we nod to each other, we bow to each other, we salute each other. What do Vulcans do? So I suggested this. He said, okay. And that's how we, we did it as a greeting, a Vulcan greeting. Now boy, that just took off through the culture. It was amazing. Within days after it was on the air, I was getting it on the street. People doing this to me, waving to me in this Vulcan gesture. That, that's interesting. And it's been that way to this day. It's almost 50 years later, people are still doing it. It just touched the magic chord. Most people to this day still don't know what it's all about. A lot of people do because I've talked about it a lot. I've been asked the question, where did that come from? And I have very readily put out this story. It's, it's, it's sort of a, like, like a secret handshake or something you know, that people enjoy to exchange with each other as if to say, I'm, I'm in on it. I, I, know this, I know the joke, you know, Star Trek, right? You know, hey, Star Trek, you know, it's great. People don't realize they're blessing each other with us. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, have some of you seen that before? Oh, oh, good, good. Thank Gwen was reminding me that we should share it. Thank you, Gwen. Isn't that marvelous? So, uh, I grew up on Star Trek. It's, it's, it. I'm the right age. It dwells deep in my psyche, and. Uh, 
live long and prosper is like saying, may God bless you and keep you, right? So uh, he was right on in his greeting as well. But no, people don't know that it comes from his childhood where um, he got to observe this really ancient ritual. I mean, really, really ancient ritual, um, which still takes place in many synagogues around the world. And uh, um, yes, Amok Time is a famous episode for you sci science fiction nerds like Ellen and me, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I'm just going to say something to Roni. Roni, we seem to have an email impossibility because I write to you and you don't get it. And then you write to me and I don't get it. So um, I'm going to suggest that you call the synagogue and leave me a voicemail and then we'll make sure to be able to communicate. Okay, thanks. Um, okay, back to this. So here is the, I would posit that this, um, this ritual of making two shins of the priests covering their heads with their talit, taking their shoes off so that their feet are touching the earth. Take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground, right? Of um, are the direct, the direct linkage to this passage in Torah. I would suggest that rather than us treat this as some curiosity, we humbly think about it as one of the most ancient and potent rituals in Jewish tradition. So now let's back away for us rational types and demystify what it might be to be a channel of blessing. Don't use any fancy language. What does it mean to you to feel yourself as the conduit for, for energy that's going to benefit and bless another person. What is that? It's not so mysterious. This happens to be an ancient ritual where they ritualize this function. And I would say there's a great value in ritualizing the function because it allows us to concentrate our energy and attention on it. But we're always being conduits for blessing. Anybody who thinks of themselves as a loving person is focused on being a conduit for blessing. The difference here is where you think that love originates. Right? If you think it's coming from you and somehow you are a limited resource and you're gonna run dry at some point, you can't do it anymore then, right? You used it all up. That's the fallacy of thinking that um, giving blessing is something that's a zero sum game where what you give then is not yours to enjoy anymore, right? That's, that's, that's just simply untrue. Um, Cause we all know love is something when you give it away, you end up having more, 
right? That's what Melvina Reynolds said. So um, I love the image of God instructing the priests, the Kohanim, that their job is to be the channels so that God can bless us. So whatever God is, whatever that infinite pool of energy is, it's going to come through us, out, and on. And trend. So I like to think of these like us being an antenna, you know, or a dowser, or, um, oh, think of all those beautiful images for ways to be, um, ways we might think of ourselves as transmitters rather than um, energy sources. Um, so I love thinking about this. And um, now let's put the text, oh, lightning rod, it's very good. Uh, when you channel a blessing, you've made the room to receive blessings. And uh, that's what Rabbi Pauline says, and Jerry says, to be a lightning rod, yes. The lightning rod is a useful image because in the Torah and in all mystical traditions, and the Torah is a text where the reality of God is a given. So if the reality of God is a given, then it's a mystical text, right? And so um, in, this, in, 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 in cultural situations where the, ener the divine energy is understood to be the energy of creation. It's so potent um, that there's some danger involved, right? Because too much, to you say an electricity analogy, too much energy could flow into a wire that's not ready to handle it. And so the wire could fry. This is what happens in um, uh, Leviticus when Aaron's sons want to recreate the experience they just saw of Aaron invoking fire from heaven. They die, but they don't just die. They get in, they get, they, their spirits get consumed by the divine fire, right? And there are many mystical texts um, that warn us that we have to be ready to receive the um, awareness of the divine energy. That if we're not ready, it could fry us. I think, and again, people have heard me say this before, I think many folks who um, did hallucinogenics without an awareness of what that was going to do to their brains to allow them to become channels for more of this energy than we're accustomed to doing. For some people, it was um, too much, right? Um, I think also some mental illnesses are where we don't have the filters in place that we need in order to reduce the divine light into a manageable and kind of digestible and transferable quantity. Um, and and uh, in Jewish mysticism, there's the famous story from the Middle Ages by Isaac Luria, 
about how when God wanted to create the world, the divine light, God created a vessel and the divine light poured into the vessel and the vessel shattered because it was too much. And so God then slowly understood the divine intelligence that in order to, the divine light had to become contracted, diffused, as it were, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when you um, add water to kind of um, uh, a diluted, thank you. Yes, had to be reduced, diluted, so that our limited um, voltage could handle it. Right? And that's what happens with power lines too. Electricity is flowing in great energy through power lines. And, um, uh, and uh, uh, then you have to go into transformers that reduce them so that they can handle the wiring in a house so that we can turn on a light so that we can receive the light. Right? All of those images are classic understandings in Judaism of how the divine light is so powerful that if we're going to be channels for it, we have to be ready for the experience. And um, the priests in the Torah, this shamanic ancient society, go through intense preparation, which we can read about in the Talmud, in order to be ready to fulfill this function of being channels. So shamanism, which many of us may have encountered in various ways, is the better analogy for what Kohen is. Kohen translated as priest. Think of Kohen as shaman. And then think of, um, we may have forgotten why in the synagogue that Leonard Nimoy grew up in, the Kohanim may have forgotten why they're doing all these things, why they're taking their shoes off. Nobody maybe ever taught them because traditions, traditions can continue without the content that first animated them. Why they're covering their head, why people aren't supposed to look. It says in the Torah, no one can see me and live. That's what God says to Moses when Moses says, please let me behold your presence. No one can see me and live, God says. Again, we personify this God in the stories, but we're talking about some experience that's common to many human beings. And then in order to make that experience something that can be reproduced and effective, we have the, all kinds of traditions developed, taking off your shoes, not looking, all these sorts of things that I can imagine as an ancient shamanistic ritual that might have been completely lost on 20th century Jews in Boston in the 1930s or today, right? All they had was the form, but they didn't remember what the content was for. So then let's think together. Oh, let me see what people said. Dissipated, diluted. This getting ready is very true in Vedanta as there are requirements for the student, precisely. Um, it's, it's the same in Judaism. There has to be a preparation to be 
a transmitter of divine blessing. Um, a big part of that preparation, of course, is getting your ego out of the way. Um, a lifetime of, uh, that's a life's, that's a life's um, coursework, isn't it? So that we can more and more understand that it's not about us. I mean, isn't that what, isn't that what successfully getting older is all about in some way? Um, of course, when we're young, it's all about us. We're establishing ourselves in the world. We're figuring out how to be effective in the world, all of that. Ultimately though, the, the, the final graduation from the School of Life has to be a test to see whether we can get out of the way and allow the creative energy that creates everything, including us, to move through us in the most generous way we can. That's being a channel of blessing. Another thing about being a channel of blessing that's beautiful for me to think about is that we have to be a channel. We can't be, if we don't have, if we're not an instrument with integrity, if we're not our, the trumpet or the, the you know, if, if it can't come in and go out, if it comes in and we're full of holes and it just like spreads all over the place, we're not doing our job either. So there's this sense of both containment and also porousness at the same time, which is a paradox, or at least it's a balancing act. And the reason I was thinking these teachings are so pertinent um, in a, this moment is, how do we walk through the world? How do we offer ourselves? Are we offering ourselves as channels of blessing for people? Carol wrote, I think I've told you this, but my traditional reform rabbi, Stephen Wise, was a true transmitter. Still comes to me every time I hear it. Yes, he could speak in front of Madison Square Garden and have everybody just galvanized. That charisma, anybody, uh, we should look up um, the origin of the word charism, that Greek word charisma, because Ellen's gonna, Rabbi Ellen's gonna look it up, because charisma, if we don't know exactly what that gift is, but we know it when we see it, right? It's from Cain, um, favor, grace. Oh, it's from the same word as chain favor or grace. Oh, so good. We're going to get back to the word grace because it's in the Hebrew of the blessing. If someone has by birth or through other means developed their charisma, there's something about them that's magnetic. If they use their charisma, that gift of grace, in order to aggrandize themselves, right? Now that you've heard the word, reach deep into your pockets and send me your checks, right? Uh, then they are not in serve, they're not serving God, right? They're serving themselves. And so 
you never know whether someone who has who has that gift of charisma is using it for the greater good or for simply self-aggrandizement. And we as consumers, shall we say, as recipients of that grace, we can't, it feels so good that we might just want to take it and follow that person anywhere. And then we have the origin of all kinds of cult, cultish activities in human affairs. So it's such a crucial task for the person who is practicing being a blessing giver, whether you are a very private person or you standing in front of a group of thousands, to make sure you're doing it so that God's energy can pass through you and bless the people. The capacity for misuse of this gift is, doesn't need to be amplified. Um, uh, Enid said, the things I spend a lot of time thinking about are like circuit breakers, standing between me and holiness. Great image. Great image. It's like, yeah, the lights go off because like we, it like broke the circuit. We're a circuit and we want to be, we want to complete the circuit not be the ones who break it with our lack of attention. So then let's look at this word grace. Uh, late Latin, Greek, equivalent to charis, favor. Mm -hmm. So maybe uh, the, uh, the ancient Hebrew, Greeks were in, the land where our, our ancestors were, and it's possible that they got, that they were so close that Kar, Kar and Chen, right. the, the words are so similar. The words are similar and the concept is similar. So now I want to go to this word Chen in Hebrew. Uh, let's look back at the Torah text, uh, Gwen. Oh, and then I want to read what Roni and Wendy said. Responsibility of the individuals not to enable cultism. Uh, this was often a discussion among Grateful Dead family, as no one wanted to enable a cult. Exactly. And Wendy wrote, last school year I presented to my four and five-year-olds the idea of the broken vessels, and that one of the ways they could help repair it and the world was by doing mitzvot. That is the way we understand this, that the world, that somehow the universe is, is filled with broken vessels and that mitzvot are the way to, and each broken vessel contains a hidden spark of God. And by fulfilling mitzvot, we release those sparks. Thinking about what you are saying about being ready to be the channel, I was basically asking them to do what they were developmentally not ready for yet. Looking back though, I think not being quite ready helped them get out, helped get them out of themselves and see a larger world. Exactly. Yes, we want to be training ourselves to do this, even with our youngest kids. Um, we have all our regular words for it, and uh, adding religious language to it is a beautiful thing, Wendy. Okay, so now let's look at this formula of the blessing. It's it's um, in the Hebrew, may Yud Hevavi bless you and keep you is Yivarechcha Adonai V'Yishmarecha. May Yud Hevavi. Yivarechcha, Baruch, bless, a beautiful word. V'yishmarecha, shamor, 
Thank you, Gwen. Shamor, to serve or protect or keep. That's the first one. The second line, ya'er, that first word there that Gwen's highlighting, ya'er Adonai panavilecha. So hold on, leave the ya'er uh, red for a minute, Gwen. Um, that comes from a root you might know, which is or. Or is light. Yehi or, let there be light. Ya'er means to illuminate, to give light to. Uh, panav is God's face. Yes, panav means presence. Right? It's your countenance, your Okay, panav is your punim, punim, right? Panav is your face. Panav is also your presence. When we say lifne, we, that means in front of or before. It means in the presence of. May God's presence illuminate you. Vichunecha. And favor you. Favor is an old-fashioned word. Um, uh, and, but the word, now I want to get to this word chen, which is the root of it. Chen means grace. Grace is a beautiful word. As a quality, what is grace? When you say someone is graceful, what are you, what, what's going on? That person is so graceful. It's not just about the way, it's about the way they move. Something is filling them. That's, oh, I'm at a loss for words. Feel free to type any in that you want. But grace also comes from the word, the root gratis. Gratis means free, right? Gratis means no cost freely given. You don't owe me anything for this. It's gratis. Um, and the word grateful comes from the same root. So we're grateful, we're filled with gratis for that which was freely given and fills us with this quality called grace. In Yiddish, if someone, you say, like my mom liked to say, oh, that kid has so much chen. They're so chenoftik, was the Yiddish word. It means they had a sweetness pouring out of them. Um, gratis and chen have the same meanings in Hebrew and English. Freely given, unbounded, nothing needed in return, that fills you up with grace. Um, when we say God's grace, in which we mostly know from Christian language, but here it is, right in the Torah, everybody. May God, God's presence illuminate you and fill you with grace. I'm going to say that again. May God's presence illuminate you and fill you with grace. May God's presence enlighten you. This is the term enlightenment. 
and fill you with grace. Now that's a bracha, right? Don't we wish that? Oh, we're walking around hooded. We're walking around weighted down. We're walking around struggling and staggering through our lives. We're walking around wrestling. And here's a blessing coming from the source that we be illuminated and graceful. I'm giving it to you now. How can I give that to you? I can only channel it from the source of light, from the infinite, unbounded source of light. You don't owe, you don't owe me because I'm receiving it as I'm giving it. When we're channels for blessing, we're receiving the blessing as we transmit it. And don't we have here a definition of what real love is? Real love is not something that we feel we are owed for because we've already received the gift of being loving. We're not muscling it through. Roni wrote, from, again from Vedanta, the path of grace, which means blessed by God, having the divine within you. Other, divine, are one path of grace. And please say the Hebrew word again, chen. Um, let's see. I don't, you know, how do you write ch in English? There it is in red on the screen, vichuneka. Gwen, would you just highlight chet and nun? Those are the roots. Blaise said, and to receive the gift of grace, we don't need to do anything we receive because we are. Grace in Christian language is unearned. You can't earn it. It's not a transaction. It's so beautiful. We're in the language of love here. And again, Christianity has really developed this language. We have it right here. This is how you do it. Thank you, Ellen. We receive it not because we have earned it. We receive it because we're God's creatures. Gratitude can bring grace, exactly. What we can give back for having received grace is gratitude and a holy cycle then is complete. We close the circuit, we receive the grace and then we just give it back. And it's a virtuous and ever ascending relationship. Gratitude helps us notice the grace we receive. We are. 
This is why I love this passage so much. Let's look at the next line. It says, Yisa Adonai panav elecha, v'yasem lecha shalom. May yod presence be lifted up before you. The literal image here is, may God's face be lifted up. Remember last week, two weeks ago, when I talked about the, when you're doing the census, you're to lift every person's head. Let me see you. May God's presence be lifted up towards you. Vayasem lecha shalom. And give you shalom. Grant you shalom. And uh, I love how Everett Fox did not try to translate shalom here. Because we're not, it's not quite peace. Not in terms, not in the way we think of peace. Shalom is a much more vibrant word than a static word. Um, so what I ask is, you know what shalom is? It's the feeling you had a moment ago as you were imagining receiving that free gift of grace. Shalom is a fullness, it's well-being, it's peacefulness, it's perfection, it's equanimity. Shalom means all those words. Barb Renfro is remembering that Hannah was the mother of Samuel, our first prophet. Not our first, but a great prophet after Moses, considered second to Moses. And uh, Hannah, the name Hannah, means grace. Freely given love. I want to point out, again, for those unfamiliar with this, to how crafted in terms of our Jewish tradition being um, uh, focused on language, if lang that this blessing is carefully crafted. If language is the way we understand God addresses us, God said, let there be light, God spoke these words. So we make language into a vehicle for transmission of divine energy. That's right, you understand what I'm saying? And in the most mundane way, words can hurt, words can heal, words can uplift, words can destroy. So we choose our words to be like um, um, transmitters of the energy that we're bringing out. So as it happens, Yivarechecha Adonai V'yishmerecha has three words, the first line. Ya'er Adonai Panav Elecha V'kunecha has five words. And Yisa Adonai Panav Elecha V'yasem Lecha Shalom has seven words. It's not accidental. Three, five, seven, kind of like a, a holy pyramid of, of language. Then someone pointed out to me many years ago that when you count the letters 
of the three lines. Trust me, it's 15 in the first, 20 in the second, and 25 letters in the third. So everything about these words has been crafted to be a holy moment. Uh, is Ruby Pauline? Ruby is your granddaughter, right? Am I remembering her name correctly? Pauline? Yeah. So Pauline's granddaughter number 10, grandchild number 10, but that's who's staying with you now, right? Pauline is blessed to have a giver of blessing in her home every day. And she's told me how much it's sustaining her to have a baby who's a channel of blessing, who hasn't gotten, who hasn't been kicked out of the garden yet, which I see as an analogy for what happens when we become self-conscious and self-aware and develop those traits and then those traits get in our way and then we spend the rest of our lives if we're seekers figuring out how to get those traits that self-consciousness out of the way so we can once again be in the garden and be a channel for that divine blessing uh thank god for rabbi ruby and you have a full minion pauline 10 grandchildren it's a very holy number yes she has many blessings Ah, uh, well, that's quite a judgment, uh, Roni. Um, I'm not going to respond to that. Because what we're speaking about now is not the mega picture. We're speaking about the quality of interaction that allows every soul to know they're loved, are enough, can be a channel for blessing themselves. I want to invite all of us now to think of ourselves as the high priest whose job it is to be a channel for blessing. And think about how that can only benefit us because we'll be tapping the source that is infinite. We won't run out. If we feel ourselves exhausted or dry, it's just a time to pause, step back and evaluate why the giving made us exhausted and then recuperate, rest, and find the connection again to the infinite source so that we can continually practice doing what we need to do in our lives so that we're tapping the infinite source and then transmitting it to all the people we love, to every stranger, to people we might have a knee-jerk fear reaction to, 
I'm thinking of uh, growing up in the city and worrying about the black kids, you know, uh, as a little white boy from the suburbs. I want to recognize my fears and then be a channel for grace and light and blessing. That doesn't mean we take our discernment or our discretion. It doesn't mean we don't socially and throw it out. It doesn't mean we don't socially distance because some magical thinking is telling us that, oh, if I do this, I'm protected. It does, it's none of that stuff. And we don't have to be in physical proximity. We can do it right through these little windows in our screen to be channels of blessing. Deborah says, I noticed too that I become exhausted when I don't take time to receive God's blessing for myself too. And that would be a definition of why we are supposed to take Shabbat, right? A day to renew. Because inevitably in our world of broken vessels, we're going to stub our toes, we're going to get confused, we're going to get worked up. It's just the way, it's just the nature of things. So we need holy times in order to revive and recover. It's 159. Uh, Roni, uh, you know, it's interesting reading your comments. I'm not make. I'm just saying that by the time I was five years old in this public swimming pool in my town, I was afraid of the black kids. I didn't ask for that. It wasn't something I, well, I evaluated. It, it's social conditioning, of course it is. And I've spent the last 50, 60 years trying to become more alert and more aware so that I can always see the human being that's facing me. So what did uh, someone speak up or write and say what uh, we're marking at two o'clock now with the moment of silence uh, so that we're all clear? Governor Andrew Cuomo announced Thursday the state will hold a statewide moment of silence for George Floyd. Um, this will coincide with the start of the memorial service in Minnesota. Please join us in silence at 2 p.m. in his memory. His, his Thank you. Thank you, Ellen. So shall we? We'll spend the next minute in silence, in solidarity.
Thank you. It's good to be quiet together. Let our healing prayer also be a silent prayer today. Imagine yourself as that channel, sending energy for healing and well being in all directions. Let's commence again with some silence for healing. Bless everyone in need of healing. On any side of any demonstration line, in every situation, in every station. I'd just like to add this thought right now. I hope this description kind of uh, punctures or even just kind of like sweeps away um, the false dichotomy many of us walk around with that separates somehow the idea of spiritual with the idea of action, good deeds, life. I hope we can get beyond any of those false dichotomies and understand that we, if we take this as our mission, our mission is to be channels of blessing, thoughtful channels of blessing self-aware channels of blessing. Using the gifts that have been uniquely given to each of us, whether they are artistic or interpersonal or gardening or bird watching or fighting for justice, to use that gift that's been given us to be a channel of blessing. There's no separation between the spiritual realm and the world of action, unless we act as the separator. Nor are there any definitions that we should hold up that prevent us 
from fulfilling this innate function that each of us senses and understands about ourselves. Thank you. So today, that's my favorite passage in the Torah. Next week, we'll come to my next favorite. Now let's recite the Kaddish for anyone who's remembering a loved one. And I will say Kaddish for George Floyd and for all the victims who've lost their lives just because of their skin color. Yes, this will be posted, Ruth. Yit Kadal, Yit Kadash, Shmei Amen. Vyama divra chirute, vyamlich malchute, vachayechon, uvyomechon, uvchaye de hol bait Israel, vagala, uvizman karib, vimru. Yehech may rabam parach, yalam umay umaya. Yitra, yishabach, yipaar, yitromam, yitnase. Yitadar, Yitale, Yitalal, Shmeid Kusha, Laela, Min Kolbir Hata, Vishirata, Tushpahata, Venetamata, Namiran, Yama, Bimru, Ame, Shlama, Rabba, Min Shmaya, Behaim, Alenu, Velkol Yisrael, Bimru, Ame. Sylvia is remembering her beloved husband, Ed, and her grandparents. Thanks for typing that in, Sylvia. That last line, may the one who creates shalom in the celestial spheres create shalom among us, among all Israel and among all who dwell on earth. And let us say, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Let You can unmute yourselves. We can say hi. And then walk into our beautiful days. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Deb. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Deb, so good hi, to Susan see you. Fox. Good to see everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi to your family, would you please? Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Rabbi. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Deborah. Good to see you. Thank you. Safe travel, Susan, soon. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Oh. This is going to be back in our area before too long. Yay. Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye. Thank you for a wonderful class. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, John. The police were taking a knee when the hearse went by to get, arrive at the memorial, by the way. Beautiful. Minneapolis police, yeah. Thank God. Thank you.